and I will worship you. Oh, we worship you, my God. You're worthy of all praise. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you. Oh, fill every hungry heart, oh God. For those who aren't hungry yet, Lord, I pray you'd help us be hungry. Father, would you meet every need of every heart in this place, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So, we're in our fourth week of our blessed series, and I am super excited, even though there's going to be a picture on the screen right now, which is a gun, okay? (laughs) So, I'm really excited. Put up that title slide, if you will. The title for today's message, if you want to take notes, is The War Within. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. I want to give you some insight as to what's happening in the beginning part of the chapter. If you've been in our church for very long, you should know that we concern ourselves with the Word of God. So I want you to know the context which surrounds what we're going to talk about today. Um, And so the, the first, I would say, nine verses or so in Luke chapter 16, you may have have a heading in your Bible, and it'll tell you it's about a dishonest manager. Jesus is telling a parable about a dishonest manager, and if you're not sure or you can't remember, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning, okay? So Jesus is giving this story. He's talking to people, and he's sharing them this parable, and it's about a dishonest manager. Um, He tells of a rich man in the first few verses. We're going to start in verse 10, but I'll summarize the first few verses. He tells of a rich man who had a dishonest manager and accusations get brought to the rich man about his manager. The dishonest manager, turns out, has been cooking the books. He's been doing some underhanded things that have led to him being accused, and now word has been received by the owner, and the owner is about to dole out some punishment to the dishonest manager. Okay, so we're going to jump into this and I'll read from the ESV in verse 10 through 15. Follow along with me. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, okay, let's stop there for just a second and tell you that this term in some Bibles, might, they might use the word mammon. This is worldly money. It's physical money, okay? Just think about it in those terms. Who will entrust you to the true riches? So there's a comparison there that's given between unrighteous wealth or money that's here on this earth and eternal riches or true riches, what Jesus calls here, which would have eternal value. So verse 12 says this, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus ends this section by saying this phrase, you cannot serve God and money. Verse 14 says, the Pharisees, there's a little parenthetical there, who were lovers of money, 
the Pharisees, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They made fun of Jesus for having said this parable. And he said to them, how many of you know, Jesus knows what's in your heart. Even regardless of what the action is on the outside, he knows and sees deeper. And there are times throughout his ministry that he just calls them on the carpet and goes, you're doing this, but you really mean this, or this is what your heart is really saying. And so he does one of those things in this moment in verse 15, and it says, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So this is a really interesting passage. And if you're visiting with us today or if it's your first time, we are in a series called Hashtag Blessed, okay? And we've been talking about living a life that is experiencing God's favor and his blessing. We want to experience that, but not in the way that we've heard maybe people talk about on social media when they get the prime parking spot at Walmart and they're like, they take a picture and they send it to Facebook and they're like, oh, I'm so blessed. I got a prime. I thought about it this week and I was gonna make it joke. uh, And that would have been me taking a picture of the car because I did get the front row seat, like right next to the handicap. And I thought this would be really funny. I'll take a picture and send it into the church. But I didn't do that. But I did get blessed because I had that parking spot. We think to ourselves, that's what blessing is. Or we might think that we live in a place of lacking God's blessing for a certain reason. And I want to start out this message on finance and on money today by telling you from the bottom of my heart, I feel this from the Holy Spirit of God. If you are here or you are listening to this audio later, I want to tell you something. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless his kids. If you're, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you should know this. If you are, how many of you would say you're a gift giver? Like you love to pick out good gifts. Raise your hand high. I love you people, okay? I like Twix bars. I like, no, I'm just, (laughs) no. But I, I love to give gifts. I'm a gift giver. When I go to the supermarket, when I'm at Kroger or Walmart and I'm running in, I'm telling you, like, if you ever see me in Walmart, it's the flash of lightning. Cause like, I don't wanna be there for very long. I'm just in and out, get my stuff and go. But every once in a while, and Madeline can attest to this. She's sitting on the front row. Everybody say, hi, Madeline. She's not feeling well, so she's not in kids' church diluting the population up there. Uh, She's down here trying to get healed. But let me say this. When I go to a place like Walmart or Kroger, even if it's just to get a few groceries, there are times, and Madeline can tell you, that I'll come back with a special little thing just for her and just for Brighton because I thought of them. I passed something, even if it was in the toy aisle, and how many of you have ever bought a toy in Kroger? It's expensive, but even like a little thing, you think to yourself, oh, they would love this, and so you just kind of get it for them because you want to bless them. That's what a parent and a grandparent does in the natural, and so I say to you, I believe the context of scripture leads me to understand God's desire is to bless his kids. 
You've got to have that as your first step in understanding this because God truly does. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. I did not say God wants to pay off every mortgage in this place and give you all a Cadillac. And if you just drop some extra cash in the offering today, we all going to go to heaven. I didn't say anything along those lines. I am telling you this. God wants to bless you. And when I say that, you think budgetarily, but you ought to think every aspect of your life. God wants to bless his kids. He wants to bless you with healthy relationships. He wants to bless you with favor. He wants to give to you what you need, peace in the midst of chaos, strength in the midst of something that requires resolve. God's desire for his kids is to bless them. The first point today that I want to share out of this parable will be up on the screen, and I encourage you to write this down or think about this. If it's something that has no head, it's dead. And if it's something that has two heads, it's a freak. This proves true. If something loses its head, say it with me, it's dead. And if something has two heads, get it away from me because it is not right. There is something wrong with it. I went to the science museum with my children recently, a couple of weeks or months back, I guess now at this point, and we saw a two-headed snake of all things, snakes being my least favorite of all of God's creation, and two heads being my least favorite of all things to ever see. Two heads means it, has, it is a freak. Jesus is saying something in this parable. He's attempting to communicate to the people that they ought to have one master. Having no master would obviously mean you're dead, right? But anything that has two masters really is living in contention. So I say that to say that when we deal with finance or we're thinking about this parable with the dishonest manager, we've got to understand that when we as people have a prideful or an arrogant attitude that says we don't need God, that's a real challenge that we ought to find our place in saying, God, I want to submit my every area of my life, including my finance, to you, one leader, one head. God blesses those who are submitted to him. You can take it to the bank. And I know I'm talking about finance. That wasn't supposed to be a pun. But you can take this wisdom and live it out in your life. In every area of your life, God blesses what you submit to him. And we talked about it last week in the principle of first, understanding that if we want to see God's blessing in his favor in any area of our life, whether it be a relationship, whether it be about decisions that are lying ahead of us, whether it's in finance, whatever it is, if we submit that thing to God and put him first in that area of our life, we will ex experience something special from him who loves to give okay? God is a giver. We see that all the way throughout scripture. But let me tell you something based on last week's message as well. We read that the devourer will be rebuked by God himself. In Malachi chapter three, he says, if you obey my word, if you tithe, if you bring to the storehouse what's rightfully mine, if you do that, I will prevent the devourer from devouring your stuff. Whether it's your peace, whether it's your possession, whatever it may be, but Jesus is communicating this point. You can't serve God and money. All of us in this room probably thought, I don't serve money. 
But I would encourage you to think deeper about exactly what it looks like to serve something or someone. Jesus gives us the understanding in this parable that we'll be loyal to one and despise the other. How many of you have ever been in a weird situation where you've had two bosses or two people trying to give you conflicting stuff? Anybody? I mean, you just think about a moment in your life where you've had somebody give you something to do and then somebody came and changed it or whatever. We have those sort of, even innocently, those things happen from time to time, but sometimes intentionally those things happen. Here's what I'm going to tell you, though. That's why I believe a lot of people are mad at God. You can't serve God in money. So as they serve one master, they despise the other master. There are people sitting within the sound of my voice that have lived in misinformation and not in the truth who have despised God's word when it comes to money. That's a tough thing to think about. But when we set our life in order, when we put God first, everything else will come into the proper order. The prosperity message that has been preached in churches ashamedly, it has been preached in churches around this nation and around this world. We're not the only ones that struggle when we hear that message. It's that people are being victimized. Their money is being victimized in places even like Africa where they don't have a lot to give. They're being victimized by people who are misstating and misrepresenting what God's word is. What ends up happening is the prosperity message causes us as people to not be loyal to God, but to the God of riches. Or to do like we referenced other people do, to give in order to get something in return. So when something goes wrong or it breaks, we actually find ourselves despising God. Money promises us security. It promises identity. It promises significance. It promises independence. Come on, somebody. Have you ever dreamed about what you'd have if you had all the money you needed or wanted? Put your hand up. I'm not alone, right? Right? Listen, I got a buddy of mine, and I will tell you. Can I tell you my secret dream? Here's my secret dream. If I had all the money in the world that I wanted, I'd own an island. I would take all of you with me. We would have a church on that island and we would live on that island happily ever after, okay? I love that idea of owning my own island. There are only a few people in the history of mankind who have been able to own an island. That is such a pipe dream. And you say, Pastor, wow, I've seen the car you drive. You're not close to that. Well, hey, listen, it's a fantasy for a reason, okay? But listen, money promises us independence. It promises us power. It promises us freedom. But it never delivers. I don't know if you caught the news. I hope you didn't talk to relatives in states where they play the Powerball to buy a ticket. <clears throat> but that lady who won the Powerball she stood there proudly and they said, well, have you called and talked to your job? And she said, yep, I told them I'm not coming back. <laughs> She's experiencing that freedom that it brings momentarily. But the history, the history of those who receive lottery winnings, you should look into it. They have a devastating turn of events in their life. They are all of a sudden attacked from outside sources. They all of a sudden have other things that happen to them. It doesn't solve all your problems, but there's one who can. 
And those two things are in contention, God and money. Those loyalties or allegiances are there. And Jesus clearly says in the verses that we read in Luke 16, that the Pharisees are those who love money. So listen to me, money promises us everything that only God can give because truly only God can give peace, only he can give love, only he can give joy and money is looking for servants because it wants to rule. In fact, I find it interesting. How many of you have ever dived, dove into the book of Revelation? You ever looked at any verses in the book of Revelation? It's some weird stuff, okay, in there that it talks about. Beasts and the end of days and rulers and kingdoms and all kinds of different things. There's someone who's mentioned, who's called, or whose name is the Antichrist. I want to encourage you to look it up later, but he doesn't rule through the threat of a nuclear war. He rules through the threat of the control of money. Because in that moment, he'll be able to control what is bought and what is sold. So money is definitely looking for attention, and it's looking for rulership. If money could talk, it would say, if you have the right credit cards, the right clothes, the right car, the right house, you'll be accepted by the right people. If you just had more money, people would listen to you. If you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, some of you have thought your marriage would be better. If you had more money, you could do what you want, go where you want, and live where you want on an island with me. The biggest lie of all of them is this, and you might be guilty of this. God, if you just blessed me with a big amount of money, I'd help so many people. Boy, I'd, I would help them. I would, just be, I would just be paying people's mortgages off. I would be blessing children everywhere. I would be. The question is, will our behavior change simply when we receive that large payout? Or are we living that generous of a life with the meager income that we already have that the Lord has provided and blessed us with. Money is not the answer to all of our problems. We're tempted to think so. We're tempted to think that we either need God to come through in some miracle way or we need someone to give us money in order to get out of the places that we find ourselves. But the truth and the reality is, is God, I want you to think about this, the same God who rescued Daniel in the lion's den is the same God who allowed Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. And that'll mess with your thinking. If you think that God is only ever wanting to bless you and pay your bills and, and give you a Cadillac, you got it wrong. God actually wants us to go through hard things so that our faith is built in him. Our dependence is built in him, not on money, not on other things in this world. So the same God who allowed the three Hebrew boys to be thrown into the fire is the same God who saves them from the fire later. Yet we talk about the, hey, he's the hero in the story and he saved them and he delivered them, but we don't really kind of contribute or give him credit for being the God who allowed them to be in that place in the first place. So if we think that most of our problems could be solved if we had more money, we are believing a lie. So let me ask you this question. Is money evil? 
1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read to you a passage of scripture. We'll have it on the screen too if you don't have it, uh, have a Bible with you or have a device that's connected. It says this, verse 9 through 11, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. You ever seen those people in the casino? (laughs) If you have, that's because you've been there. Stop going there, okay? (laughs) Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Stop and look up at me for just a second. The question I have is how much money did that woman waste in her life before she bought that winning ticket? How, how big of a snare was she in? Thankfully, now she's got the money to repay whatever she you know, got herself into before, maybe. But still, at the same token, I think to myself, you know what? Even if we don't see it in the here and now, we have to understand it does plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10 says this, for the love, say that with me, for the love Okay, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So I'll stop there for a second and tell you what I've heard before is people say, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The word of God says clearly it's the love, the lust, the hunger, that desire, that leadership and loyalty to money that causes and drives us into that place where we find ourselves committing evil. It says this, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let me explain that. It's a, it's a different word than we're used to, to using, but it would be something in the King James Version. They say birth pangs. They mean that urge and sensation of pain that you are feeling, okay? So this person that they're talking about has wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves through with many a pain, Okay, we can use that as today's modern English. Verse 11 says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Whenever you read man of God, if you're a woman, read woman of God, okay? But as for you, O man or woman of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So, In this passage of scripture, it's clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. Loving and serving money is the root of all evil. Money can be used for unrighteous purposes, and it can also be used for righteous purposes. Um, I have a picture of my brother, who's a police officer in New Jersey. He sent me not too long ago of him kneeling beside a very large evidence table uh, where they took in one of the largest drug busts and cash rings in New Jersey. And he's kneeling by it proudly, like, hey, look what I got kind of thing, and sent me the picture. Many unrighteous things are done with money, but also there can be righteous things and purposes that are done with money. It can serve you rather than you serving it. So what are we supposed to think about all of this? Is money evil? The answer is absolutely not. It's not evil. I want you to think through this, though. When we go to number three, the question is, what should I do with my money? 
I would say, give it to my island fund, okay? But I'm going to give you some actual scriptural understanding of what you should be doing with your money, okay? Because God can use money for his purposes. He actually wants to use it for the building of his kingdom and for souls. He's the only one who can turn dollars into an eternal prophet, and he does so through the kingdom of God that he puts on the earth in the people of God and in the house or the church of God. So what should I do with my money? Here's what you should do. You should budget your money. Take notes. If you don't know what a budget is, you can talk to us after. We would love to help you budget your money. The first 10% of your income goes to the local church that you are committed to and involved in. That is where you should give the first 10%. And then you break down how much you need for savings, how much you need for all the other aspects of your income that you receive, okay? So that's a start. But you should be a good steward with whatever you have. So I got some college students here. Let's give them a round of applause. I'm so glad they're here. They are here, and I love to see their faces from week to week. It is awesome. It's like a surge of fresh life into the life of our church. They're some of our loudest singers and highest hand raisers, and they just give it all to Jesus, and I love it. So I love you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here. We already have some who are serving in other areas too, but I say this to them because they can think, I don't have much money. And they write, okay, that's right, and it's true, okay? And for you, you might actually think to yourself, I don't have much. You know what? I don't have enough money to listen to this message because if I did, that's the wrong approach, right? Did you know that in this handful of students, we have tithers who tithe regularly to our church, sometimes a few dollars, sometimes larger than that, but they are practicing now. And by God, his word says, Jesus Christ himself said, and listen to me, if you're one of those people, if you're faithful in the little, he's gonna trust you with a lot more. Michaela, did God send you on a missions trip this this year? Did he provide miraculously for that trip? Were you terrified going into that with fundraising? Yes, she was terrified. I met with Michaela, but you know what? Michaela is one who's being faithful to the Lord in the little, and God is showing up and showing out in her life. She might not feel that this week because she had to spend all her money at Walmart, and bless you, if you're here in this room and you love one of these college students, I guess they would really appreciate a little card with like a gift card from time to time, right? I mean, they can tell you what their favorite restaurant or location is, but they they live in the here and now. And it's real to them. It's real to you too. And I know this to be true because it's, it's real for me too. So the question that I have to say is, what should I do with my money? The first is, I wanna be a good steward. There's a difference between the bad steward or dishonest steward the good steward and the great steward. I'm working on being a good steward. Maybe you're at the place of being a great steward. And if so, that's awesome. But we should take the next step in whatever place we are in the journey that we are, okay? Um, We never will have more if we're not faithful with, with what God already gives us. 
Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he says this, he who is faithful in what is least or little is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least or little is unjust or unrighteous also in much. So we are all supposed to be faithful with what we have. Amen? True riches are not found in your bank account. True riches really and truly, and I say this as a man who understands, I've had much and I've had little, and in every moment of my life, the thing that I've held on to most dearly is my family. It's the people who are close to me. It's the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who've encouraged me, who've equipped me as even a pastor. I'm still your brother in the Lord, and I need that encouragement. You are what make me rich. And I don't say that because you contribute money to this that then goes to my salary. I say it because I believe that God has advanced his kingdom with the people that are in this room. And if I died today, I would want it to be on my tombstone that I died the richest man of all because I have people who love me. I have people who surround me. I love them. It is a wonderful blessing to live in that place. I know it's stressful to live in a place where you lack or where we, you might not have enough, but I know that true riches are what God blesses me with. They are the intangible things such as peace, which you can't buy, but you sure can get when you ask God for peace. It's the same thing about restoration of a relationship or anything else. Souls being saved and won and brought into the kingdom. Those things are intangibles, but those things are truly valuable beyond any amount of money. I'll tell you a quick funny story and I'll close. I used to be a bank teller. Um, I was a bank teller and then a bank manager. Then I started doing lending. They, they moved me um, over to what they call the platform, which is where people sit at the desks in the bank, okay? And they write loans for people and they open up accounts. And so I worked my way through different areas of the bank. I worked in several different banks and I got an opportunity to work in a Christian-owned and operated bank, a small a series of about 12 branches in New Jersey called Atlantic Stewardship Bank. Uh, one of the best experiences of my life. A lot was taught to me in, in that place by the people who were my leaders, my managers, believers. I mean, we opened the doors of the bank every morning before we did. We prayed together. It, it was just really awesome. Some Christian businessmen opened the bank. And uh, the funny part is we had an assistant branch manager. And if you've ever seen the big truck pull up to the bank with a lot of money, and I know you've wished, if some of it fell, Lord, just let it fall in the window of my car, okay? But here's, here's what would happen they would call that shipment, okay? When the shipment would arrive, they would come in with an armored individual, someone's armored still in the car, an armored individual comes into the bank either with a crate on, on wheels or with bags in hand, parks next to the door, comes in. You've seen that transaction sort of happen before. When it would come into the bank, I being the teller manager would have to help the assistant manager count everything that's received. And you could not process it in those days electronically, you processed it by hand. 
we had to count hundreds of thousands of dollars by hand every time we received a shipment to hand verify that the money that they received from the Federal Reserve was truly the amount that was written. Because at any point in the transaction, there could be a, a, a disparity or something happened. At the Federal Reserve, somebody could have taken money. On the truck, somebody could have stolen money. In the storage locker, before it gets to the vault, and when it gets to the bank, you have tellers who have robbed banks before, and they can steal money, okay? So there are a lot of anomalies or, or parts of the puzzle that have to be verified. And I had this bank manager. How many of you have ever done this? You've licked your thumb before you've counted money. Have you ever seen somebody do that? Okay, they've licked their thumb. This guy, he would stand in the vault with me. We would lock the door behind us, security cameras everywhere. We'd open up the bags, cut open the plastic, cut open the paper wrappers. We'd have sheets of paper and he'd begin to hand verify and lick his thumb before touching every, don't shake my hand after church, okay? Lick his thumb before he was counting every one of those wads of bills. And I thought to myself, how has this man not died yet? (laughs) Because it is just absolutely gross to think about that. I say that to say this, in order, and I give you that funny story so that you know this, the people who stand in the vault to count that money aren't the homeless guys off the street who have a drinking problem, who have been given to addiction or not been faithful in a certain area of your life. In fact, in order to work at a bank, you had to have all these qualifications met. They do background checks on you and financial checks to make sure that you've never written a bad check. If you had, you had to explain yourself. It was the, the proof was in the pudding that you are in the vault, that you could only get access to the vault. And we didn't even give our tellers access to the vault without someone walking them in there with a second key to open. No, And we divided the combinations. If you ever try to rob a bank, it's complicated complicated. Okay. Don't try it. Okay. It's crazy complicated, but everyone has to memorize and keep a certain set of the codes and no one has full access together or they shouldn't. You had to be verified that you could handle that much money. So I say that to say, I wonder what it's like when God looks at you and when he looks at me. I wonder what it looks like when he goes to verify and do the clearing process before we get that sort of blessing. And I say it about money because it's proof positive. Jesus said it himself, we can't serve God and money. We've got to choose to serve God with our money. So that war that rages inside of us is always there, but we always can win that war if we simply submit ourselves to God.